Bio podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at OptimalBio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Optimal Bio's Wellness Podcast. Today, we have Mavis Hodges, who is back for an encore performance. We spoke <laughs> to her a number of months ago um, after she had joined Optimal Bio. And uh, since then, um, she has been an integral part of Optimal Bio and our growth. She's a wonderful PA. And we're happy to have her back today to talk about women's health, wellness, and other things that I think you'll find very interesting. So, Avis Hodges, welcome again. Jim, you're so sweet. Who paid you to say that? <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad to talk about happy hormones. I'm excited. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Excellent. Yeah. So obviously a lot to cover today. And um, yes. I'm just going to follow your lead. So, um, you know, what do you want to talk about first? Okay. Well, this might be the first of a few several podcasts talking about wellness. So um, I just want to say we have a wellness program here. And when I think of wellness, I don't just think about diet and nutrition because that's only a small part of it, right? When I think of wellness, I think of full body wellness. I'm talking about not just the food you eat, how well you manage your stress, how physically active you are, um, and your spiritual and your emotional side. I mean, there's so many parts to what wellness really is. So we're really just touching the tip of the iceberg today, Jim. You know? Well, good. Well, let's start from, uh, start, let's go back a little bit. And, you know, I think a lot of, pretty much everybody knows Optimal Bio as a uh, bioidentical hormone replacement practice. Mm -hmm. And you have started a wellness practice within that service offering. So, why don't you explain to everybody what that means? Great question. So you have the foundation, which is happy hormones, right? But there's so much more you can do in conjunction with that um, to make your hormones happier and more balanced. And that is focusing on your diet and your activity and your stress management. So what we do in the wellness program is, yeah, we get your, um, your hormones optimal, we get your levels optimal, but we're like, we also look at your labs and say, okay, what is the right intermittent fasting schedule for you? Or what is the right diet for you? Or what should you be eating and when should you be eating it? What supplements or nutraceuticals would be beneficial for you? Um, what type of physical activity should you be doing? Let's let's look at how you're managing your stress, right? So it's a very individualized um, approach. It's not a one-size-fits-all because wellness is not a one-size-fits-all. You can't just say, here's a plan and it's, it's going to work for you because that's not, that's not realistic. That's not how it works. So, so I'm really excited about the wellness program here because I get to set one-on-one -on -one with, with patients and put together a plan that's just for them that works for them. And how do you go about doing that? So we start with labs and we start with a very comprehensive questionnaire, which is probably a pain to fill out, but whatever, it's fine. Um, so it asks you medical questions. It goes through your symptoms. It goes through what does your diet typically look like? So we have you fill out like a diet log of what you eat. 
which is always really fun and kind of awakening for some people because some people don't realize what they're eating until they actually keep track of it and write it down. Um, so yeah, so a, a full questionnaire, um, so a deep dive into the health history and what they're actually doing, and then a lab assessment. And so looking at all of that and sitting down with the patient, I always ask them, the first thing I ask them is, what are your goals? Because everybody has different goals, right? So what are your goals? And I just kind of tailor that to whatever the patient's goals are. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously you've experienced this. We have a lot of patients that come in, um, their hormones are out of balance, uh, you know, through treatments, they, they get back into balance and, Mm -hmm. you know, some patients, I think, uh, automatically, you know, when they read the benefits of balanced hormones, you know, we we talk about weight loss, we talk about sleep, we talk about, um, all these wonderful things that are going to happen, you know, once your hormones are in balance, however, the body you know, that individual still has to do the work. It's not the hormones alone that are going to, yes. you know, reduce weight, for example, or get you to sleep yes. better or what have you. So, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, toxins, you know, in our, our food supply yeah. and what have you. So, um, yeah. you know, and then estrogen and, and you know, how, how those toxins affects est- estrogen and what have you. So, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, I guess, the detoxification of estrogen, so to speak, and, and um, yeah. you know, how that all works and, and what's going on in the environment that is, is affecting that right now? Yeah, I'd love to, because like you said, when it comes to weight, and a lot of people will come to me in the wellness program for weight, being able to detoxify your estrogen is critical for weight. Um, so that's actually kind of how I started with, with patients that are interested in losing weight. I set them down, and I'm like, look, this is how many things affect your weight. It's not just hormones. It's not just your diet. You know, inflammation plays a huge role, which has a lot to do with with, with estrogen and your diet and all those other things too. But, you know, food allergies, food sensitivities, like things that people don't even think about, um, particularly related to gut health, affect your ability to lose weight. So talking about estrogen, there's three different processes in the body that estrogen has to go through to get detox out or metabolized and excreted out of the body. And so if you have a hiccup in any one of those stages, you're going to have issues, right? And most people have heard of estrogen dominance, where you have too much estrogen in relation to your other hormones. And long-term, that can cause a lot of symptoms. You know, for premenopausal women, that can cause PMS symptoms. You know, some women say, well, I thought that was normal. No, that's not normal. PMS is not normal, right? So that's usually a, you know, a combination of, you know, high, high estrogen, low progesterone. But, you know, even as you get older, you're talking about fibroids or even endometriosis or, you know, uh, problems with breasts, things, you know, all these things can be um, a result of high estrogen and your ability to not metabolize them well. Um, so, yeah, so let's, let's talk about the three phases. So there's three main phases. The first two phases work primarily in the liver. They're in other places too, but it's primarily in the liver. So this goes back to why it's important to have a healthy liver, why it's important to not drink a lot of alcohol. And like you said, we're being bombarded by all of these environmental toxins that are being filtered through our liver. So our liver is working on overdrive all the time. It doesn't really get a break, unfortunately. Um, So liver health is super important. Um, So yeah, the first phase, your, your liver puts estrogen into three different pathways, one of three pathways. So here we call it the good, the bad, and the ugly, 
Okay, so obviously we want it to go down the good path and not the ugly one or the bad one. Um, so yeah, we work with our patients here, you know, diet and supplementation can kind of help with that, but you want to shoot it down the good safe path because if it doesn't, and it's going down the, the bad path, these metabolites can build up in our body and they can increase your chances of getting, um, cancer carcinogenic metabolites, right? So we want to go down the good path again. It's all about the liver health and detoxification. So once it decides what path it's going down, then it goes to the second phase again in the liver and at that point your your body is just making it's a lot of processes but it makes it more water soluble so that you can then poop and pee it out and that's kind of how it gets out of your body which then leads to the third phase and in my opinion the most important phase and that is the gut because if you don't have a healthy microbiome if the bacteria in your gut is not balanced if it's not happy if you're not going to the bathroom one to three times a day i say that to patients and they look at me like i have 10 heads they're like one to three times a day yeah that's normal right so um being able to eliminate it is the the final but the most important step and if you're not doing that properly you'll definitely um, suffer the consequences so let's talk about alcohol for a second um you know, you go to traditional medicine, you go get a physical and, you know, they ask you that question, you know, how many drinks do you have, um, you know, on yeah. average per week, you know, and obviously, yeah. you know, the, the number that they're looking for is, you know, anywhere from zero to seven. Right. And, uh, is there realistically, is there, uh, you know, is, let's say you're having a drink a night, you know, for, six days. And then on Saturday, you go to a concert and you have, you know, three beers. So let's say you have 10 drinks during the week. Is the, is that any better for you than let's say having no drinks for six days? And on the seventh day, you end up having 10 drinks. So kind of walk us through the, the alcohol and how it metabolizes. And, you know, some doctors out there will tell you, Hey, have a glass of wine a night. It's great for your heart. Right. So you know, if you're going to do that, then yeah. that's seven drinks right there. So kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So that's a great question because I've had patients, you know, in my past that were your binge drinkers on the weekends, right? You know, you think about college students, they don't drink all week, but then in the weekends going heavy Friday, Saturday, you know, or binge drinking. I've had 40 year old patients that were in full blown cirrhosis of the liver simply from just binge drinking on the weekends. So Binge drinking is not good, but either is, I mean, neither is drinking two to four a day, whatever that looks like, right? Because it's your your liver only has a certain capacity, right? And we were just saying it's being bombarded by the environment, every medication that we take, the air we're breathing, I mean, all these things. So as a female, technically, you can only, you know, your liver really only can handle one serving a day. But what does one serving look like? Okay, because I'm guilty. My wine glasses is not a serving, okay? It's just not, and that's just whatever. So a serving would be like five ounces of wine, but who drinks just five ounces of wine? I don't, so anyway, but you know, it's fine. Um, (laughs) No, so as a female, you really, you know, one is the limit per day, seven per week, and for a male, it's two per day. 14 in a week. Um, But regardless of how you're doing, or even if you're just binge drinking three to 12 in a setting, I mean, I've heard crazy numbers, people telling me how many beers they can drink in one setting. Um, Both of them are harmful. And when it comes to hormones, we really have to take care of the liver. You may have 
answer the question earlier uh, or alluded to it, but I'm curious, why are men able to handle 14 drinks a week and a female is only able to handle seven? It's probably the only thing they're better at women at doing. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough, but let's let's Um, go down that road for a second. You know, I think that has a lot... Um, I think that has a lot to do with body weight and, um, yeah, it has a lot to do with the body weight and the water composition of the body and things like that. Okay. So I'm going to keep harping on this for a second. So if there's a 125 pound male and there's a- Are you making me do math? Hold on. And there's a 175 pound female. Are you still saying that the female should have seven and the male can have 14 or is it now reversed because of size? No. No, 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 no. It has to do with the woman's stomach and how the alcohol is absorbed into the in the bloodstream. And then it has to do with the, the serum concentration in the bloodstream. So it's it's more of a physiological thing, not necessarily just a weight thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. Talk about the toxins and how that affects estrogen. Talk about the what? Toxins. The environmental toxins. Toxins. Oh, <laughs> Well, let's talk about plastic because here, if you can see my water bottle here, it's not plastic. Um, plastics is probably the hu- the worst endocrine disruptor that's you know estrogen mimicking that wreaks havoc on our hormones because we're all exposed to plastics. I don't care how good you think you are, we're all consuming plastics. So I've kind of slowly transitioned. This is one thing I talk about in the wellness program. Um, you know, starting from the food, the plates that you eat off of, the things that you store your food in, try to just kind of slowly convert over to glass, um, something different than plastic. And, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but it's so important to just kind of slowly transition over. So I would say number one is plastics. Try to avoid plastics if you can. Again, it's not going to be avoidable 100%, but do the best you can um, because those really disrupt the endocrine system. And I think for females, the other big one is the stuff we're putting on our face stuff we're putting in our hair, on our skin. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's bad. There's a really good website called um, ewg.org and you can go there. They have a whole skincare wellness beauty database and you can look up your products. Um, I always encourage my wellness patients to do this. Look up your products and see how toxic are the things that you're using because you'd really be surprised. I mean, it's a, it's a great database they have. So I always you know refer patients there. Um, clean up what you're putting on your face and your skin every day and try to avoid plastics. I think those are the two biggest, um, biggest areas that you can make an improvement in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then what do we do to detoxify? You know, obviously there's supplements, obviously there's diet, things like that. But, um, you know, if you were walking a patient through, you know, a detoxification process, what would that look like? So that's an interesting question because it's going to look different for every single person. But speaking generally, and that's the thing about these wellness questions, it's it's so individualized that I'm trying to speak generally here. So for detoxing, you want to make sure, one, that you can sweat, because if you can't sweat, you have an underlying problem that needs to be looked at. And that's one great way we get rid of toxins. So sweating as much as we can, whether that means... You know, I know in the wintertime, it's a little harder, a little harder to sweat for people, but if you have to get into a sauna, if you have to do a really, you know, hard workout, try to sweat every day because that's going to get toxins out. And then we were going back to the gut and talking about um, bowel movements. 
one to three bowel movements a day. That's getting the toxins out. I mean, our bodies are so perfectly made already. They know how to get rid of it. It's just, we've done all these things to mess it up, right? So pooping every day, you know, making sure you're filtering your kidneys, you're making sure you're drinking plenty of water, you know, peeing a lot, um, sweating. But just again, overall protecting the liver and supporting the liver and not damaging the liver um, can really help. Yeah, there's supplements, there's food, you know, there's all these things you can do, but it's it's individual for the person. But the main thing is you wanna make sure you're not jeopardizing your liver and that you're able to sweat and you're able to poop and pee. These sounds like basic body functions, but so many people can't do them. It's kind of incredible. Yeah, no, obviously it's very important that um, your body's able to evacuate um, in the traditional way, you know, a lot of these toxins. Right. Uh, right. Oh, we did a podcast about a year or so ago with um, Sean Baker, who is the um, uh, the meat guy. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. He's a he's a carnivore, okay. and you know he's yeah. on he's on one hundred percent you know meat diet. And um, mm-hmm. you know he talked a little bit about um, uh, poop and the fact that um, mm-hmm. you know before you know he went on this diet, you know he was uh, pooping frequently, but you know, they were, you know, yeah. I guess you could say not ideal um, poops. And, you know, he's doing it less now, but it's better, right? So, um, mm-hmm. you know. There, yeah, yeah, that doesn't is, surprise me, less. Yeah, so is there, you know, is there such thing as, you know, if you're not diarrhea per se, but if you're pooping too much, I mean, that could potentially be a problem as well because your gut's not processing the food the right way. Well, pooping too much would technically be diarrhea, by definition. Yeah, but so. But for individuals, oh, you know, if you're if you're pooping three times a day, that may not be good, but it may be good for somebody else. So, are you looking for a yeah, baseline so of at least once? Like, what's the the norm? I guess. I would say, well, the norm. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I tell patients if we can get at least one, that's a good day. Two is even better. Three is very hard to get to, but some people naturally have it, and I secretly hate them, but that's okay. I think one to two is is a really good goal. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, speaking about diet and bowel movements, like you said, everybody's different, right? So carnivore diet might be great for one person, might be terrible for another person, right? So, and everybody's microbiome is so different, lifestyle is so different, genetics are so different, you really can't do a one size fits all for diet. Which is why I love this job so much. It's like an art. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, there, then there's obviously there's patients that come in and, you know, they seem like they're doing all the right things or sauning, they're sweating, they're running, they're exercising. Yeah. You know, they're trying to eat as organic and as, you know, uh, healthy as possible. And, you know, there's a, they're just not, there's not, they're just not shedding any weight. And, um, yeah. you know, and then you, you, you talk more about, then you do start looking more into the inflammatory issues that may be going on, you know, within the body that, um, you know, are potentially blocking, yeah. you know, certain things. Yeah, for sure. Inflammation is a huge one. Inflammation, gut and hormones. Those are probably the three main areas to look at if someone's still having issues with, with shedding the weight. So with that, um, phytonutrients help that, correct? Yeah. So phytonutrients are 
compounds from plants. Okay, the one reason why I'm I love plants. <laughs> Um, they're, they're compounds in plants that have lots of good properties. Okay, we're talking about anti-cancer properties, um, you know, helps the vasculature, helps our immune system, um, inflammation specifically. So there's so many things in plants that are so good for us, right? So, um, and that helps decrease inflammation, like I said. So, so like you were saying, inflammation, people don't think about that as being a cause of weight gain or a cause of not being able to lose weight. But it is, and primarily, usually starts in the gut. Most things do. Um, so decreasing inflammation and increasing those those compounds that are in plants that are that are good for us to help fight that um, will help will help across the board. But again, that looks different for every person. But you've probably heard of like an anti-inflammatory diet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that even mean? Right. Like, go on an anti-inflammatory diet. What does that even mean? I don't know. Right. So. Um, one of the things I do talk with patients is focusing on the right foods to decrease inflammation. Um, and omega-3 fatty acids are also really good at decreasing inflammation, whether you're getting that from food sources, you know, wild cold, cold water fish, flax, chia seeds, walnuts, whatever it is, or you're supplementing. And I find that most people do need to supplement just because in the standard American diet, we're eating so much processed, you know, vegetable oils and grains and all this stuff. We're getting all these omega-6s. We're not getting enough omega-3s. So um, I find most people have to supplement with that. But really, you want to drive down that inflammation. You want to try to get 9 to 10 at minimum plant servings a day. I know that sounds like a lot, but it's really not because, you know, a serving of, of plant, of vegetable is really not that much. And when you really sit down to eat vegetables, you're eating more than a serving usually of, of each plant. So again, I'm speaking very broadly, but, and it's different for every person, but yeah, that's what you want to do. And the, the biggest driver of inflammation that diet wise that we stick in our mouth every day is sugar. Oh, sugar. That one is the worst. I mean, if there's, if there's one thing you could change about your diet to make it anti-inflammatory, it's to cut out the sugar. Right. And you know, when we say sugar, people are like, well, what does that mean? So we're talking about glucose and that can be in the form of a fruit or a chocolate candy bar. I mean, at the end of the day, the body doesn't know the difference. A, a glucose molecule and a fructose molecule, that's the same, right? So, well, not technically, but the body doesn't know whether it's coming from an apple or a highly processed, you know, piece of whatever some man created somewhere. Um, so, so cutting out the sugar is gonna help decrease the inflammation and increasing your omega-3s is gonna help decrease that inflammation as well. So I have a friend of mine who's gluten free and uh-huh. uh, you know, and dairy free actually too. So you know, a lot mm-hmm. of the the gluten or the non dairy project products um, are loaded with those seed oils. Oh, they're and terrible! Yeah. So you know, I was kind of wondering. I mean, are you better off uh, eating a you know organic piece of bread, um, or are you better off eating the processed? loaded with seed oil, uh, gluten-free, you know, piece of bread, for example. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you handle that with a patient? Yeah. So the interesting thing about gluten-free products, if it's a good quality, they are tend to be more expensive. You know, that's the biggest thing I hear patients say is it's so expensive to eat this way. But if you just get off the bread for one second and think about eating food the way it was 
intended originally, whether that's growing from a plant or, you know, in its wholest form, closest to its wholest form as possible, we want to avoid processed stuff altogether, right? I mean, I know in a perfect world, that's another story. But so if you think about it, you know, eating a, yeah, you, you want to avoid the seed oils, that's for sure. But a lot of the gluten-free products are not healthy. Like you just said, I mean, if you look at the ingredients, you look at the label, they're not healthy. So like I'm gluten-free, so what do I eat? I eat meat, I eat beans, I eat nuts, I eat seeds, and I eat vegetables, and I eat fruits. That's what I eat. There's so much to choose from just from those. And I mean, it does sound limited if you're used to oh, eating that sandwich or eating that. Now, there are some good breads. Um, if you're you know thinking about bread, if you want to substitute every once in a while. But again, it's not something that, you know, you don't need a sandwich necessarily every day. You know, you just, you just don't. Yeah, and I have another friend of mine who's gluten-free also. And uh, he practices... Um, not substituting. So to your point, you know, bread has gluten in it. He's just not going to eat bread anymore. He's not going to try to sell it out. Um, and, uh, you know, that seems to have worked for him. Whereas the other person I was describing before, you know, still wants to, you know, have the taste, I guess, the, you know, the feel, the look of the bread and or the products. Um, so he's subbing it out and, um, uh, and I don't, you know, envy either of them. I mean, it's a tough thing to do. Yeah, um, it is. It was a process. It took me a really long time to grasp the gluten-free lifestyle. It took a while. And and when you say it takes a while, you know, I think also patients look for immediate results, right? So, you know, they go mm-hmm. on gluten-free and they expect to feel, you know, 100% better in, in a week or 10 days. And, you know, I know Dr. Yeah. Brand in the past and you have talked about, you know, this is a process and it takes a long time. Um, why... Is it hard to set patients' expectations on that? And then, you know, can you explain to us why it takes so long? Yeah. So I'm very upfront with patients. I'm like, look, this is a process. It's not going to happen overnight. And I know that because I've went through that personally with myself. Um, When I first went strictly 100% gluten-free, it took me about six months to feel a difference. And that sounds like a long time. And it can be if you're waiting for something. And I think I think most people just generally, they want convenience, right? They want something that's going to be a quick fix. They want to be able to just live the life that the way they used to, eat the foods they want to eat and feel better, which is reality. That's just not how it works. So I set the expectation very clearly. And I'm like, look, this is going to take a really long time. Why does it take a long time? So gluten causes inflammation in the gut lining. Okay, but there's a there's there's different immune responses. So there's a, an allergy response, and then there's a, what we call like a sensitivity response, and these produce different proteins in our immune system. And so that's why it can take so long. So let's say, for example, you have an allergy to gluten. If you cut that out, you're going to notice resolution in your symptoms a lot quicker because it's a different different molecule that we're working with. But if let's say you have a sensitivity to gluten, that's me. That's why it took longer for me because in order for those antibodies to get out of the the body and clear out, it takes a really long time. So it's not something that just happens in a week and they're gone. I mean, these antibodies can be in your system for a long time. So anybody that's doing an elimination diet or or taking anything out of their diet, you have to do it for a significant amount of time before you're going to notice anything. And people do get frustrated with that and and kind of give up, but um, it works if you do it. 
back to sugar. What are some of the hidden sugars that, you know, people think they're not, they're still ingesting, uh, but they think they're actually sugar-free? There's so many hidden sugars. I would say the most um, damaging one would be the high fructose corn syrup, okay? So there's, there's lots of different names for all these, but if you're looking for one to really avoid, high fructose corn syrup or corn syrup solids, or it'll be in different words. But there's, I mean, there's probably like 20 different words that mean bad sugar. <laughs> okay. But I would say if you're if you're reading labels, um, and you can easily, easily Google them and take the list to the grocery store. I'm that person in the grocery store pulling out everything and reading every label and people think I'm crazy, but it's fine. Um, but that's how you learn, okay? When I first started learning, that's what I had to do. But yeah, if you see corn syrup, solids, um, corn syrup, half fructose corn syrup, please avoid like the plague. They're very detrimental to your liver. And in fact, speaking of liver, it's actually the leading cause of liver cirrhosis is high fructose corn syrup, not alcohol. What about the, the substitute sugars um, that we see in Coke Zero, for example, and Diet Coke and yeah. you know other products? Um, a lot of people you yeah. know, say stevia, for example, or if I'm pronouncing it right way, is it's an all natural, it's a plant. Yeah. Um, yes. And that's obviously a substitute yes. for sugar, but sugar also is a plant as well. Um, so speak to those right. products as well. Yeah. There are a lot of different sugar substitutes. I think the most newest one that came out was allulose, which I haven't tried that one. I personally don't react to them well. Um, like the sugar alcohols I don't, don't do well with. Um, the sucralose, the Splenda, oh my God. Yeah, those are bad. Actually, we know and studies show they affect the microbiome. Okay, again, going back to the, the bacteria in our gut, these things, you know, some studies say it spikes our insulin, very similar to glucose. Some say that they don't. At the end of the day, we know they affect our microbiome, which is not good because what does bacteria in our microbiome do? It controls everything, how we metabolize things. It affects our neurotransmitters, our mood, our, I mean, literally everything. So avoid those also, like the plague. Okay, <laughs> Bottom line is avoid them. They can cause headaches. They can cause you know, upset stomach. Um, I even, you know, if I have a sugar alcohol, it'll give me diarrhea. So I don't do well with them. Um, and I would say majority of people don't, but some do. And that's that's kind of the scary thing is when people don't have an immediate reaction from them, they think it's okay and they keep consuming them and consuming them. And that's not good. Um, I do pretty good with stevia. I actually grow stevia plants in my backyard. They're very pretty plants if you're into that type of thing. Um, and stevia is very sweet. It's very, very sweet. Yeah. But at the end of the day, so I'm a fan of stevia. You know, if is sugar is a plant comes from sugar cane, obviously. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. is that caloric the same way that stevia would be caloric? Apparently not. Apparently not. Because you can fast with stevia. Well, that's something like I have to Google Like when you do intermittent fasting. <laughs> you have to look that up. Yeah. You have to get your stevia. Yeah, people fast with stevia. Yep. And I still get the same benefits from fasting. I don't feel any different. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of that. But there's, but you have to be careful with stevia because a lot of the products that say stevia on them, if you look at the back of the ingredients, they've like added other stuff into it. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. 
Um, so it won't just be stevia. Yeah, I mean, my rule of thumb, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, is if there's more than three ingredients, I'm not going to buy it. Um, and oh, is that your rule? That's a good rule. Yeah. And so I no gluten-free bread to, for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to know what all three ingredients are. You know, if I have no idea what they are, then I'm not going to buy it either. Um, That's a good rule. Yeah. And if you can't pronounce it and you don't know what it is, it's, it's probably, yeah, probably not a good rule. So let's talk about macronutrients. What are they? Okay. First and foremost. Okay. So macronutrients, these are your carbs, your proteins, and your fats. So I give some examples. So carbohydrates all break down to glucose, going back to sugar. That's what we're talking about. Um, they're good because they provide you with energy, fast, quick energy. Um, and we need them for hormones. We do need them. Do we need them in the excessive amount that the standard American diet provides them? No, we don't. Um, but we do need carbs, okay? And so there's a lot of controversy about that is do we need carbs, do we not? We do need carbs, but again, we don't need them in excess, right? So small amounts. And again, that depends on the person. It depends on the sex of the person, where they are in their life cycle, whether they're trying to get pregnant, all these things. So, um, but yeah, so carbs are super important. They get a bad rap, but they do good things too. You just got to be careful about the carbs that you're eating. You want, again, go back to whole foods. If you can find a food in its closest whole form, it's probably the best. You know, if it has more than three ingredients, probably not a good carb. Um, so what are carbs? Carbs are vegetables. Carbs are fruits. Um, I mean, you can, you can get your, you know, grains or carbs and legumes and things like that. Some people can tolerate grains and legumes. Some people can't, but most people are safe with most fruits and vegetables as, as far as getting your carbs. Um, the other macronutrients are fat and protein. So, and all of these are critical for hormones. Okay. And so that's a lot of the stuff I talk about in the wellness program is because you need all three of these to make happy hormones. So fats specifically, fats make such happy hormones. I mean, they... Fat is so important. Most of our brain is fat. Fat is in every single cell of our body. Fats protect our organs. Fats make hormones. I mean, all of our hormones are created from the cholesterol molecule. I mean, I just don't know how much more important it can, can get here. You know, we can't even absorb vitamin D if we don't have enough fat. So it's very important. Um, but again, it all comes back to high quality. So high quality fats, what does that look like, right? So if you like salmon, if you like wild caught salmon, those have great fat profile in them. Um, any pasture-raised, grass-fed, grass-finished organic meats are gonna have a better fatty profile. Um, nuts, seeds, avocados, olive oils, avocado oils. I mean, those are all really good, uh, really good fats. Um, if you like butter, hey, eat some butter. We need our fat, okay? <laughs> I can't tolerate butter, but that's okay. I, I eat ghee, so, but, <laughs> but you need fats. Um, and then the proteins. Proteins, again, building blocks for neurotransmitters, um, hormones, tissues, muscle mass. I mean, you need protein. And most people don't eat enough protein and fat. And I think that's kind of where our mindset has to shift and got and, and got flipped. I think it all started with the food pyramid because back in the day before my time when the food pyramid came out, the bottom was all grains. And it's like, if you look at the top, it's like, oh, you need a little protein, little fat or no fat. That was bad for you then. But yeah, most of it was all grains. And so now we kind of have to just flip this way of thinking. I know now it's not the pyramid, it's the my plate, which is 
a whole other thing. I actually looked up the my plate the other day. Have you ever looked at it, Jim? I haven't. The my plate. I looked at it the other day just just for fun, and I typed in all my information just to see what it said I needed per day. And I wrote this down because this is how much of a joke it is. Um, for me, in a day, I need. So for my grains for the day, I need six slices of bread. And my adequate protein for the whole day would be three eggs and two tablespoons of peanut butter. Wow. What? And so even though it's not in the shape of a pyramid, it's in the shape of a plate, it still doesn't make much sense, right? So why am I saying that? Because protein and fat is so important. And we've kind of just done the exact opposite. And we've seen the repercussions of that because we have PCOS, we have obesity, we have heart disease, we have, oh my God, the list just goes on, right? So really trying to flip the way of thinking and focusing on, particularly as women, if we're trying to get pregnant, getting enough protein, getting enough fat so that we're making enough hormones so that our hormones can be happy and we can be balanced and regulated um, and not eating so many dang grains and carbs. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, this has been going on since the 60s and probably the entire medical mm -hmm. profession knows that this is not right, but it still continues to, you know, be... If you're in the hospital, that's what you're getting on your tray of food. If you're going to school, that's what the kids oh, are yeah. eating. Um, you know, and it's just, it's a ticket, you know, to an unhealthy lifestyle, unfortunately. Um, back sure, to the liver yeah. real quick Sad. with a high fat diet, yeah. obviously a high fat natural diet, you know, meats, as you said earlier, and avocado and what have you. Um, does the liver have a problem processing fat? No, it has a problem processing carbs. What makes fat in the liver? Carbs. Carbs. Too much carbs and too much sugar goes directly to the liver and gets stored as fat. Do you know that? I do not. Just goes straight to the liver. And this is why high fructose corn syrup, the highly processed sugar I was talking about earlier, that's why it can cause liver cirrhosis because it just, you know, it's too much for the liver. But yeah, so... You know, if you're getting a lot of your calories from fat and protein and the appropriate amount of carbs, you're fine. But if you're pumping in carbs and sugar and, and your body's using it, but then it doesn't need any extra, it goes straight to the liver and, and then it gets stored as fat. That's what, that's what happens. Yeah, I also think the, you know, the, the caloric quantity of a, a typical American plate, you know, compared to mm -hmm. other countries is you know, almost double the size. And case in point, last week I was in Scotland for, you know, four or five days. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you order, go to a restaurant, you know, you're getting a protein, you know, you're getting a vegetable and you're getting a small carb. And, you know, as I'm yeah. eating every single night, I'm thinking to myself, man, in, a, in the U.S. and most restaurants, I'd be getting almost double, you know, the portion, you know, at this point. And so there is something to be said yeah. for, you know, not only, you know, making sure you're eating the right foods, but you don't need to overeat, um, you know, those foods as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the American lifestyle, we overeat because most of us are in a hurry all the time. We don't know how to just sit and breathe for two seconds. Um, we're always on the go. It's always more, 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 this, this, this. We don't really, 
I don't want to say appreciate, but we don't really put time into just sitting and actually relaxing and eating. And that's so important. It's another thing I talk about with my wellness patients because if you're in a sympathetic drive, fight, 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 flight, 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 you're not absorbing nutrients because your your gut's not resting, right? So if we're on the go, stressed out, it's best not to eat because that's actually stressing your gut out more. Um, so I think there's lots of cultural aspects to that too, but it's not just the, the serving size, it's just also how we are being mindful about how we eat and how fast we do it. We're not slowing down. We're not being in parasympathetic, you know, calm, relaxed state when we eat. We're not, then we're not able to absorb nutrients well. And we just, it just, the cycle continues. On that point, let's talk a little bit about mm -hmm. the smoothie world, right? Because those, okay, yeah. those foods, those drinks are designed to maximize your nutritional intake very quickly. Um, and quite frankly, most of us that drink smoothies every once in a while, we're going to drink them standing up. You know, we're not, you know, sitting down and, you know, sipping a tablespoon of drink every few minutes and letting it absorb into our body. We're, you know, <laughs> we're sucking it down and we're moving on, right? And thinking that, yeah, you know, I just yeah, got all exactly. these nutrients and I'm good to go. So uh -huh. <laughs> is the, so there's, is, so, you know, I, I've obviously done some research on this uh, and, you know, there's one school of thought that says that, because the body isn't receiving the food in a solid form where it's broken down by chewing with saliva and then it's swallowed and digested, it's literally bypassing, you know, that first process and going right into the stomach that, that there's no way in the world the body can absorb all those nutrients. Um, and in fact, you're just throwing money away, so to speak. Um, what, are you, what are your yeah, thoughts on that? Saying. Yeah. So again, yeah, I do, I do see, I do partially agree with that because you think about it, you know, if you're preparing a meal or you're catching a meal or whatever you're doing, it depends on what area you're in. Um, your body is, your brain has already started to prepare your GI system to get ready. Right. So, you know, if you're, if you're cooking up something, your digestive enzymes are starting to go because your brain, you see it, you smell it. And your, your gut's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta get the gut ready. We gotta get these digestive enzymes ready. We gotta get the hydrochloric acid, all these things. And so you kind of have time to prepare for that. And so then when the food does come, it can be broken down easier. It can be digested easier. So yeah, to your point, if you're making a smoothie and you're just whoo, running in, getting a smoothie, getting a juice, is your body doing that to its fullest capacity? Probably, definitely not. The other thing I have a problem with juices about is because a lot of the juices has been stripped of the fiber because the, the peels are taken off. And so like if her carrot, for example, the, the outs part of the carrot is like the healthiest part of the carrot because it's got the fibrous tissue and the, and the fiber is really important because that's going to, to buffer the, the glucose and the sugar, and it's going to help you, your insulin not spike. So juices are interesting because most, most juice is just a bunch of just sugar. I mean, yeah. Are you getting like other, you know, antioxidants, things like that, vitamins, minerals, yeah, but to your point, are you even absorbing them? Maybe maybe not as much as you could. And then, I mean, the thing with the smoothies, though, the smoothies, I think, are better because at least you're getting the fiber in the smoothie, right? Yeah, you're getting the sugar rush, but you're getting the fiber with it, and hopefully you put some protein and good fat in that smoothie because, you know, you want to balance it just like you would a meal um, to kind of balance that blood sugar. But, but yeah, the juices are interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking in this case too, um, you know, there's the juice, there's the fruit smoothies, but you know, I think a lot of us have moved on to, again, being sensitive to the sugar piece of it, where we have vegetable smoothies mm-hmm. now. Um, of course they have to taste yeah. okay. So there's going to be an apple thrown in or some pineapple or something like that, but <laughs> You know, you gotta mo- sweeten it a little bit. They mostly yeah. consist of, you know, spinach and kale and some carrots and celery and things like that. Um, so I was just, you know, I was curious about that. The other thing I'm curious about also is there are people out there that can't eat, you know, six to eight servings of plants every day. Their body, their digestive just, just can't handle it. And yeah. Listen to a podcast about a year ago, you know, one of the um, nutritionists was talking about the fact that plants are designed to be toxin, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the animals will come and graze and, you know, if they, plants get all consumed, then there's no way they're going to, they can survive, right? So, um, right. Uh, yeah. what do you do with those people? Well, like you said, everybody's different. I think getting enough in is good, but going back to detoxification, because this reminds me, I was watching an animal show a few weeks ago and it was about these monkeys and I can't remember which one it was, but anyway, um, whatever the species was, and I think they're all herbivores. Don't quote me, I'm not a zoologist. Um, but this species of monkeys, they they just ate plants. And so then the, the thing was talking about how in like every once in a while, they would go down to the swamp and eat this clay because the clay detoxed those toxins and they pooped them out. And I was like, this is amazing. Like animals are so much smarter than us, right? Because even though they consumed these toxins, they knew how to detoxify their body. So I think that it goes back to, do you have a healthy liver? Do you have a healthy detoxification system? Is your lymph system moving? Are you sweating? Are you pooping? You know, are you, you have to have a good detox system. And I think if that is the case, you would be able to handle plants. It's my opinion. All right. So now we're probably in the last thing we'll talk about today are supplements. Okay. All right. So let's talk about my favorite mineral. Do you know what that is, Jim? Magnesium. How'd you know? Just a wild guess. It seems to be the <laughs> mineral de jour these days, but there's two different types of magnesium, right? So we should talk about both well, of those. There's lots of types of magnesium. There are lots of types. Um, that's my favorite one because when I take it every day, and I just think it's amazing. Um, magnesium is my favorite, but not just that. It's like the anti-stress mineral, okay? And you need it for happy hormones, which is what this is about. So yeah, it's one of my favorites. But yeah, so magnesium does so many different things in the body um, from sleep to helping with methylation, which helps with detoxification. Um, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Everyone should be on magnesium. I preach about this all the time. I don't care how good your diet is. Everyone, I think, in my opinion, needs to be on magnesium. Okay, but there's different types. So there's magnesium glycinate, which is my favorite. And that's the one I take. I take it in the evening with dinner because it kind of helps just to kind of like calm the nervous system, kind of like wind you down for the night, kind of helps with sleep. Um, kind of that, again, that anxiety, that's the central nervous system, that type of thing. Um, so there's that one. There's also one magnesium citrate. That one will make the bowels move. So if you need help in that department, I'm always telling my patients, do the magnesium citrate, do the magnesium citrate. That keeps things flowing. Um, so if you don't need help in that department, don't do that one. 
Um, the other other favorite one of mine is the magnesium three and eight. So that one actually has been shown to cross the blood brain barrier and is supposed to help with sleep more than the glycinate. Although from my experience with patients, the glycinate works just as good. Okay. And if you're taking, are you taking all three of those every day? If you're in love with magnesium, like you are, or are you just picking (laughs) one and letting that work for you? I actually do have a supplement that has like two or three in it. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> but I yeah, I just recently started trying that one. I wanted to compare that to the magnesium glycinate to see if I felt any different. Um, I don't think I have. I think I prefer the magnesium glycinate. Yeah, I would just stick with one. All right. And then do they make a supplement that has all three in it? Yeah, so like the the one that I took, it doesn't have those three specifically, but it has like three different forms of magnesium in it. They make all kinds of magnesium supplements. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah you could. And outside of magnesium, what's your second favorite mineral? Um. Well, I don't know. I don't have a second favorite, but <laughs> I will say. Going back to kind of the magnesium and the electrolytes, sodium, which, you know, has also gotten a bad rep or salt has gotten a bad rep. So important. The mineral balance for hormones is so important. We need salt. Okay. People, you know, I know it's it's been a whole thing. We don't need salt. We do need salt. We need salt. We need magnesium. We need chloride. We need potassium. Those, those electrolytes, those minerals, they will help us. Okay. So, a lot of the times I'll tell patients if they're doing intermittent fasting to just sprinkle in some electrolytes with the mag- with magnesium, sprinkle some electrolytes because that helps you get through your fast um, because it's not it's not caloric. It's not tripping. It's not cutting off your fast, but it's giving your cells nutrients and you're kind of tricking your body into thinking, huh, I'm still eating when I'm really not. Um, so it kind of helps you get to that to whatever your goal is. Um, so I'm always telling patients, put electrolytes in your water because it's, it's helped me a lot with my fasting. Okay. Yeah, those are important. Well, good. This has been very um, educational and, um, you know, loved, to, loved hearing about all of your insights tonight. And um, as you know, you know, we always leave the listeners with at least five takeaways. So I'm putting you on the spot. What would they be? takeaways. Look into magnesium (laughs) as we're talking about magnesium. Um, As far as supplementation goes, it's hard to tell, you know, it's hard to give a general recommendation because again, it's all individualized. I would say magnesium though is a very safe bet that you're probably deficient because most people are because our soils are deficient. So look into a magnesium supplement if you're not taking it already. Um, Second takeaway would be try cutting out sugar. I just recently cut out sugar for two weeks. And when I mean that, I didn't mean I didn't even have a piece of fruit for two weeks straight because I just wanted to see what would happen. I want to encourage everyone listening to this to also try that. It'll be worth it. Trust me. Um, Well, so let's talk about that for a second. So what did happen? Yeah. Oh, what did happen? The first few days I hated myself. Well, after the first two days, what happened? But just the mint, it's very hard mentally to do that. 
You know, I mean, the first two, three, four days, I was just like mentally and even physically, I kind of felt sick, kind of felt like a mild flu. And I know that sounds so crazy, but I just cut it cold turkey. Um, Yeah, I didn't feel good for a few days. But when I hit about day four and a half, day five, I just had this like, it was just like the shift in, in the body. And I know it was the energy shift because my body was then now learning how to use primarily fats and protein. So kind of like a ketosis situation, right? Um, so during that time, I got a surge of energy that Sunday. I'll never forget it. I got a surge of energy. And then I, I had some mental clarity. So I had like decreased brain fog, which was great. And then I, I started sleeping better. I mean, just from cutting out sugar. I know this sounds so crazy, but sugar is addicting. And we're not supposed to be consuming sugar in the amounts that we generally are. That's all I can say. So yeah, I did that for two weeks. And um, I did add back in a little bit of honey. But I'm still going strong with just my stevia. And when you say you're... When you cut back sugar, cut out sugar for 14 days, did you also cut back on, did you go alcohol free during that time? Because a yeah, lot of those yeah, drinks. Yeah, I was alcohol free. Okay. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. No alcohol, no sugar. Got it. All right. So that's great. Um, so that's, so one of your takeaways that's, is reduce or get rid of sugar. Yeah. So get a few more to go. Get rid of sugar. Oh, Lord. Okay. I forgot what my first one was already. <laughs> Magnesium, magnesium and cut out sugar. All right, three, and I said this on my last one, but I'm gonna say it again um, because I had a patient recently encourage me to, to do this again. So if you can, watch the sunrise and watch the sunset every day. Okay, that's my third one. Why? Because when you jumpstart your hormones in the morning, it's because of the sunrise, right? The sunrise and the sun setting, that plays a role in how our, our brain and our hormones work. So it kind of helps regulate things. Um, fourth takeaway, um, drink plenty of water and hydrate. So our bodies need water just as much as they need fat and everything else we talked about. So make sure you're drinking plenty of water. Try to get half your body weight in ounces. And last takeaway, just have fun every day. Do something every day that just makes you happy. So when you're working, what do you do that makes you happy? I love my job. I love talking to people. Okay, literally, I could just talk all day. In fact, they told me the other day that I was going to win this ability for a talkative provider because I love to talk so much. Fantastic. Well, Mavis, thank you. This has been great, and I uh, look forward to having you on uh, again soon. Good luck with the wellness program at Optimal Bio, and for those interested, you know where to find her. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, and have a great day. This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO Tyler Brannon, podcast host and partner Jim Baker, medical director Greg Brannon, production assistance by Core Media, Beth Grabencourt, administrator, Kevin Duthu, executive producer. The podcast can be found on our website, optimalbio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound. Epidemic Sound.